Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome back the incredible voice of the Gary South Shore Railcats, Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan, thanks for joining us again. Thanks so much, Rob. I always appreciate being on the show. Ryan, we, we love having you as a guest, and I wish we were having happier news to talk about this past season, but the season just really never seemed to materialize for the Railcats like a lot of people envisioned. And, uh, you know, as you were watching that, was there anything that just really kind of stood out to you that you just thought, you know, didn't really work the way the team had hoped for? You know, looking back on it, I'd say that's a very fair assessment. The talent was there. You look at the guys on the roster, and there were a lot of impact players on this team. But I think a lot of times you look back on a lot of the things that went wrong. I wouldn't say the Railcats themselves got beat. I would say they beat themselves. And at least in my opinion, a lot of that began offensively. They were producing chances. They were hitting well. You have a lot of guys on this team that were doing very well. And Lamar brought in a lot of really good players to the fold, either before or during the season. And guys like Gio Diaz, Jackson Valera, Francisco Del Valle. The talent was there, but for whatever reason, this team just couldn't capitalize on their opportunities. I think hitting with runners in scoring position might have been this team's biggest Achilles heel. And at least looking back on a lot of what happened, I thought the pitching also just kind of got fatigued down the stretch, which is why I think they faltered a little bit. And injury certainly didn't help with that. But, you know, the offense wasn't backing them up with runners in scoring position either. And I guess there's that mentality. I've never played professional or college baseball. Heck, I didn't even play high school baseball, so maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm not the best to speak on this, but I feel like there's that mentality that when you're not getting the run support, you're you're trying to overpitch. And there's this mentality that, okay, now I have to do everything myself. I have to make sure every single pitch is perfect. I have to make sure I'm in perfect communication with my catcher every time. And when you try to play hero, I guess this this really works across all sports. You try to play hero every single time. More often than not, you overdo it, and that's when you get burned. Now, talking about some of these deals early on, and, and the GODS one in, in particular, man, I mean, what a, what a fantastic acquisition for this club. It was stealing great at the top of the order. But a surprise for me was Matt Leon. I, I, I hope I'm saying, I don't know if he was going with Leon or, or uh, Leon. Leon. But it's Leon. Leon, okay. Okay. Uh, did, I, I mean, I was, like, super hyped about him being the closer for the team. I thought, boy, this bullpen is just going to be locked down with, with him there. And another guy that looked like he just didn't work out for Lamar. And I, as you're watching Lamar during the season, it looked like, you know, he he was trying to figure out because he, he knew these guys could do what they were supposed to do. It just looked like he was trying to figure out what is kind of going on here. I mean, as you're watching him, how did you kind of see his season, you know, going down, managing, trying to get the, every ounce of what he could out of these guys? Well, I'll say at least, from what I saw, it was not a lack of effort. Matt's a really hard worker, and he's got great stuff. He's a great teammate, and I knew every single day he was working to try and be at his best, but especially at this level, he he just got burned by walks. I think that was just the biggest thing that made Lamar lose confidence in him unfairly or not, but 19 walks in 24 and a third innings, especially in a high-leverage role that he occupied at the beginning of the year, it just didn't feel sustainable. He did get those three saves in the in the first month, and those were really big saves, too. He had a really nice stretch just in that first week. He had one save against Kansas City. I think it was his first of the year where he struck out Keon Broxton with this filthy slider to end the game, but it just felt like I don't think Lamar saw him as the consistent guy at the back end of the bullpen that he knew he could turn to to get outs, and fortunately for Lamar, DJ Wilkinson turned into that guy, but early on, I think he might have just gotten in the match head a little bit and really messed with his confidence, and I think that's really what led to him not quite having the season 
that I'm sure a lot of people expected him to have. You know, confidence is a let's big thing, especially at this level. Uh, you're right. And, and and let's talk about Gio with me for a little bit here, Ryan, because, I mean, boy, talk about a find. This, this guy was so incredible at the top of the order and was stealing bases. And you know, what was funny about him, I thought, Ryan, was that he kind of crept up on everybody. Uh, it was all of a sudden, man, this guy's got like 30 stolen bases. Where, where did he come from? But you're watching him every night. He, he must have been a complete joy for you to watch. Yeah, I actually remember the process of picking him up, too. Uh, I got a call from our GM during media day that we had just signed a new guy. His name's Gio Diaz. Can you pick him up from the airport? Book his flight. Let him know. Pick him up from the airport. So I'm looking up his stats. You know, he had 394, 148 hits. I'm thinking, man, this guy could be a real spark plug for this team. And then I pick him up from the airport and just – Five minutes of talking to him, you just know, okay, this kid is ready to play. And, you know, obviously I saw him every night, so I wasn't surprised by how well he did. But he just has such a good approach at the plate. And he will wait you out. He's such a patient hitter. But when he gets his pitch, he's got that compact swing that can get to the ball quickly and find the gaps both in the infield and the outfield. I think that was what really differentiated himself First, it was that attitude, you know, that mentality that he's going to do everything he can to help the team. doesn't matter what position he plays, where he hits in the lineup, he's going to go all out for all nine innings. But I think, you know, going back to what I was talking about, confidence, he had a good full first full season in pro baseball under his belt in the Pioneer League, and he wanted to come to the American Association because he wanted to challenge himself and keep pushing himself to be the best player he could be. And... I think that helped him adapt to this league quickly because he was always looking for things to improve upon, always trying to find that edge against pitchers. And I think once he figured it out, things just clicked. And he was one of those guys where you just couldn't take him out of the lineup. You can't justify it. My favorite guy on this team, Ryan, I'm going to tell you, is Jesus Mariaca. I love watching him play. And kind of stepped up the home run numbers a little bit this season. I'm curious, do you see him potentially, if you're saying in Gary even, could, could he be a 15, maybe even a 20 homer guy in a, in a year? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, he had a very good season power-wise this year, but this was the most home runs he's ever hit in this season. And I think you have a point that he could be a 15 to 20 home run guy. I would, I would say, I would actually say yes. Uh, he had a stretch where he was hitting the ball really well, at least in terms of power. Just in the beginning of August, he had that one game against Sioux Falls that my broadcast partner, Zach Letson and I, uh, tongue in cheek referred to as the Jesus Mariaga game, one where he hit two home runs and then had a walk off double that one off the wall. I'd say his game is more gap-to-gap. You take a look at the numbers. I think that backs it up. 22 doubles, 5 triples. So I wouldn't necessarily say he focuses on hitting home runs. I think he just tries to hit the ball hard. And more often than not, it's a line drive into the gap rather than a line drive over the fence. I think he could be a 15-20 to home run guy maybe if he's playing in a different park. But that's just not the player he is. I think he just got a lot better swings on the ball that went out this year than he did last year. But his, his swing, to me, just isn't designed to hit home runs. His swing is designed, his swing is designed to hit line drives. Now, you were talking about this lineup kind of struggling to get things going this year and really not producing it in key moments in games. And it, it just seemed like, the, the run production was hurt, but Sam Abbott did not have the, the kind of year we saw last year and, and was traded away, and it just seemed like the power numbers were not there. Did, did you feel like the lack of, you know, the big hit or the, or the lack of coming up with, with more runs was, was attributed to the fact that I think the team hit 30 fewer home runs than last year and just really couldn't produce the same kind of power numbers? Uh, you're very close. It was 28. The, the the franchise record from last year was 92. So props to that. Uh, I wouldn't exactly contribute, or I wouldn't exactly attribute it to that. I think there are a lot more 
factors present than just the sheer power numbers because you know, your approach can't change when you're in the batter's box. And I think sometimes when you're trying to hit a home run, you're going into the box thinking, okay, I need to get underneath the baseball. I need to do everything I can to elevate. But I think it's more just – honestly, I, I, I'm – I wish I could tell you. I, I just don't know. Sometimes baseball is just like that. I don't think it's a power thing. I think it's just more an approach thing. So maybe guys are, like I said, with pitching, they're trying to do too much and play hero. Obviously, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze everything. I wouldn't be able to do it even if I knew what I was talking about. But I think it's more just... I think it's more just an approach thing than a lack of power thing because you can survive in this league without home run hitters, but you can't survive in this league without guys you can make consistent contact. In looking at this real cat season, it just, I mean, from my point of view, I kept waiting for this team to rattle off a bunch of wins in a row and get into it. There were never any real long losing streaks, but yet there were never any real long winning streaks, and it just seemed like they were stuck in the mud a bit. Was that did that attitude kind of prevail through the team too? That was there a frustration level that they weren't getting that big winning streak to get them back into the race again? Uh, it's really hard to say. Every day is a different day. Every day presents different challenges. So. Maybe. I, I, I think there's merit to what you're saying. I just can't quite pinpoint that. The funny thing is, though, yeah, you're right. Uh, our longest losing streak, it happened a couple of times, but it was only four. You look at teams that made the playoffs, and, heck, the Chicago Dogs made the Miles Wolf Cup. Their longest losing streak was, I believe, ten. But the Railcats just had losing streaks of four. You know, it's just one of those things. Baseball's a weird sport. Sometimes... Things like that happen. I wouldn't say it really dampened the clubhouse atmosphere at all. I would just say guys are just getting unlucky. I think it's as simple as that. I'm curious, looking forward to next season, Ryan, um, do you see the club deciding to go with the same model that Lamar used this year, which was to go with probably 18, 20 guys that he had from the previous season, roll forward to that, or could you see with new ownership and maybe a, a new focus on the team to go, all right, we're seeing how teams are winning here. Maybe it's time to just revamp our entire roster and start working from there. You know, we'll see. Uh, I, I, your guess is as good as mine in that regard as well, but Lamar has control of this roster. He's the one that's going to make the decisions, so – We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm interested to see what his strategy is, too. I know over the last two years, he's prioritized getting guys in that have affiliated experience, know what it's like to be a pro, know what it's like to live the life and be in the right headspace day in, day out. And I think of all the things that he could do to revamp this roster, I think that's the biggest thing. But in terms of specifics, I don't have any answers for you there, unfortunately. Well, let's talk about Lamar here for a moment uh, with me, Ryan, because a guy we really like a lot. And, you know, he, he has been viewed as one of those guys that, you know, I, I to be honest with you, I was kind of surprised he isn't back in affiliate ball yet because he just had that kind of pedigree and seemed to have a lot of buzz going on around him Um as you watch him managing over the last couple of years now with the club, how do you feel that he's settling into this Gary job? Not not only just with the organization itself and on the field, but the community. A great guy. How is he being embraced overall? Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to start by answering the first part of that question. And I went on Railcats Talk podcast and spoke about this as well with Kyle Savetich, but if you take a look at the timeline of where Lamar was when he got hired with this team and where he is now, I think you could make the argument, and this is what I presented, that this was really his first full year. Obviously, he got hired very late in the offseason. He got brought in after I got brought in, oddly enough. I think he got hired 
in early March, and then my first day back in 2022, a couple of days later, lockout was still going on for context of how, how long away that was. But that's neither here nor there. But he inherited a team full of players that weren't his. You know, they were Greg Taggart's guys. So really that first year was trying to figure out who should be a part of this team going forward. And now you skip ahead to 2023, he has a year in this league under his belt. He's back in the thick of things. He's adjusted to how it's changed since his time as the hitting coach in St. Paul. I think you have to mark this as his first year. You know, he's figuring out how it works, what types of players succeed at the steel yard, what types of players succeed in the American Association as a whole. So I think it's really too early to judge his progress just yet. I think he's still figuring things out. I think he's done a lot to figure things out over the last two years, but I feel like he needed that learning experience to get to where he is now, and I think heading into year three, this is where he should take that leap. In terms of the second part of the question, being embraced by the community, you know, it's refreshing to see a new style, you know? What he did versus what Greg Taggart did, there's no comparison because it's apples to oranges. But it's just two different styles of baseball, and I'm sure the fans are excited to see something new. They were last year. They had the 92 home runs to be excited about. And this Railcats team was in the thick of two playoff races. Granted, league rules certainly help with that, with putting four teams in the postseason rather than three and 21 and two in all those years before that for each division. So he's getting this team on the precipice, and I know the community is very happy about that. They're seeing a team that's competitive late into the season. But now it's time for him to put it all together. I think things are aligning to the point where he could. So do you feel that the 2022 season where the real cats were right in the thick of the playoff race right up to the end of the year. Do you feel like that may have set some expectations for the 2023 season that were a bit unrealistic? I would not say that, you know, you go into a season, especially in this environment where four teams in a division make the playoffs. I think the expectation is to make the playoffs. And that was what Lamar wanted to do going into the season. And obviously things didn't quite work out, but no, I would not say that the expectations were realistic because that's exactly what everybody in the clubhouse wanted. That's what everybody on the coaching staff wanted. Everybody in the front office, myself included wanted. So I wouldn't say that that's unwarranted at all. Well, looking back on the season here, I have a couple more questions about that with you here, Ryan. So first of all, Tell me, what was your biggest moment for you personally? One moment that really stood out to you this season? Uh, this is going to sound like I'm not answering the question, but I, <laughs> I swear to you that I am. But at least for me personally, I think the biggest moment for me was when the team sold. As crazy as that sounds, I feel like that was a real transformative moment for me. Throughout the 2022 season, that was my first year in pro baseball. I got accustomed to things being a certain way. I got accustomed to certain elements of the job being a certain way. And heading into 2023, the team sells right after we got back from Lincoln. We actually drove from Lincoln back to Gary, had our off day there, and then went to Lake Country on that Tuesday. But before we left the Lake Country, I was in the office I got pulled aside, and I was told the news that the team was sold. And that was the moment that things really transformed for me, and I feel like that was, at least for me, my biggest transitional point in terms of growth because you have to learn a new owner, learn what he wants, try and be able to feel him out, figure out what works, what doesn't work. And I feel like over the course of the season, throughout his involvement and the conversations I have with him, I feel like I figured it out pretty quickly, and I was able to adapt to – a new set of expectations and a new set of objectives. So I don't, I, I apologize if that isn't really answering what you were going for, but at least for me, the most, the most impactful moment for me was 
succeeding personally in a new set of circumstances that I wasn't expecting straight away. I, I think that's a great answer. That's a fantastic answer. How, how do you see ownership different? I mean, it, 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 have you been given kind of any indication of, by your interactions with, with the new owner? And, like, what, what's your, what is your expectation about how the club will be run, if it's going to be run any differently from the previous owners? I think that's, if I'm being honest with you, I think that's a question that would have a, I'm sorry, I just totally tripped over my words there, but I think I'd have a clearer answer for that at the end of 2024. This season, Joe bought it in the midst of a current season. He didn't have an off season to really implement his vision and establish a new set of goals and objectives. So throughout 2023, he just observed the way things are, got to shadow certain departments, including mine. And I think in 2024, that's when I'm going to have a clearer answer for that because that's when he's going to implement his vision and try and take this team in the direction that he sees fit. So he hasn't really given any indication because he hadn't learned what the Railcats were all about. He hadn't learned what Northwest Indiana was all about until he got on the ground at the Steelyard. What was the storyline for you this season that you really enjoyed talking about or telling during the season? Oh, there were a couple of really good ones. Um, it's really hard to narrow it down to just one. First and foremost, there were some really good young players on this team, a couple of guys that, in my very biased opinion, really should have been considered for some awards down the stretch, namely Gio Diaz and DJ Wilkinson, both guys that – in my opinion, could have won rookie position player and rookie pitcher of the year. Obviously, Dayson Cruz and Weston Muir were very deserving picks, but Gio and DJ were guys that I watched every day. So obviously my opinion's a little skewed. And I think DJ could have been in the mix for reliever of the year as well. But I think the fact that Lamar hit a lot of these young guys and they came in without very much professional experience, Gio had that one year in the Pioneer League, and DJ was straight out of the MLB draft league, they came in and had an immediate impact. I think that was the biggest thing, Gio hitting 300 in his first season in the American Association. He was pushing 320. He finished at 319. Uh, Jesus Mariaga being a human highlight reel, being that five-tool guy, and really coming into his own, playing the full season, and really leaving his mark on the league. Um, that was a really big storyline for me at the beginning of the year, and I think this is something that continues throughout the year, but starting pitching really stepping up. Chris Irwin having the year that he had when he was healthy. Harrison Francis putting together stretches of dominance. I feel like those were the biggest ones, and I'm sure I'm missing a bunch, but there were so many to count. This was really an exciting team, and they were rich on storylines. Now, I want to say for fans out there, um, and I commented to this to Ryan early, early on in the year, so I want to talk about this as well, but um, I, I have to say, Best reek, best game recaps in the American Association. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, Ryan. I, you know, <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, but I appreciate that very yes, much. Yes, they are. No, seriously, seriously, I, I want to tell them. And, and and for fans out there, I read every one of these every day. I'm probably the only person on the planet reading game recaps anymore. <laughs> but um, but every, I haven't read your recaps. And, I would agree with that. <laughs> Doug Greenwald is fantastic, and I've enjoyed Dan and 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 some of these other guys that we write, but. Your ability to really tell a good story and, you know, not scrimp on important details but not get overzealous in the details is truly an art. And I just, what, what kind of has helped you to, to build your style in writing? I'm just a little curious about Well, I, first of all, I appreciate the kind words. I'm not really someone that knows how to accept praise rather than reflect, so I, I do appreciate that. But I had a lot of time in summer collegiate baseball, and that really helped. I think that really helped figure out who I am as a writer and figure out what's important to a story versus what's filler. But the big jump for me 
I think were the six months I spent out of baseball. Before I was with the Railcats, I was a Division II grad assistant at Delta State University in Cleveland, Mississippi for six months, and a lot of aspects in that job were writing. A lot of media relations, updating player bios on the website. One of my biggest projects, I think my second month in the job, was reorganizing their athletic hall of fame. And that really helped me figure out, okay, how do I stay consistent? How do I get to the important parts and get the important details in there without sounding like I'm overdoing it? So that was, I think, the most formative period for me in terms of learning how to write, how to be quick, how to be to the point. I want to give my parents a bunch of credit, too, because they read my recaps fairly regularly, and my mom and dad are my biggest fans as well as my biggest critics. So I attribute a lot to them, and uh, if you told them that you really enjoyed my writing, I think they would put a lot more stock into that than if you told them that you, you enjoyed listening to my broadcast, if I'm being completely honest with you. That's fantastic. Well, let's talk about the offseason for you, Ryan. So uh, baseball is done for, for a little while there. So, so what's Ryan Zimmerman got going on in the offseason? So the first thing I did this offseason, the, the year ended in Milwaukee on Labor Day, and pretty much as soon as I got home, I helped my parents move. Uh, my parents have been living in my childhood home for over 20 years, but now that I only live half the year in the Chicagoland area, my little brother lives in New York. He works for the Action Network out there. He does a great job, and I'm super proud of how he's established himself quickly at just 23 years old. But they don't need all that space anymore. So throughout the season, they went through the process of getting the house ready to show and then later sell. And then once the American Association season ended, it was all packing mode. So I was balancing freelance opportunities I had throughout the Northwest Indiana area with helping get everything out of there and ready to move into a new apartment. And that process just ended last Friday. So that was my big first off-season project. But in the next week, I'll be headed back to Vermont. So I'm getting ready for my second season with the Vermont women's basketball team. The first America East Conference Championship title defense in 13 years. And while I'm doing that, I'll have my opportunities to do other sports at a couple different schools throughout New England, Vermont included in that. So I've got a lot coming up, a lot to be grateful for, and a lot to be excited for. What, what, what's the mascot to Vermont? Uh, what, what are they? The catamounts. I know that so I go from the railcats yep. to the catamounts. It's a very easy transition. <laughs> I like that choice. Fantastic. I also go Good from job. the American Association to the America East, so I don't have to worry oh, right too on. much about slipping up there either. <laughs> Do you ever slip up and accidentally call them the American Association? No, but I have come close. I have had to stop myself mid-thought when I'm calling basketball and look at where I am and try to remind myself, hey, this isn't baseball anymore. This is, this is basketball. I'm not on the American Association. I'm not on the Gary South Shore Railcats broadcast network. A couple of my freelance opportunities I had this past month, I actually did do that and... I got called out on it, not in not in a judgmental way. I just got a couple of chuckles out of the out of the production team. But I will add this: my first ever exhibition game at Vermont. I remember I came up with the whole wrap this one up in green and white. The fans love that, and I love making that a baseball call for me. But the first exhibition game I did, Vermont takes down the Division Two team from down the road like a 45 point win and I say wrap this one up in green and gold and immediately it just hits me right away no that just did not sound right <laughs> it's a process you got you got to kind of tinker with things make sure you got 
got the right feel, I guess how that goes. So, yeah, uh, I'm starting to figure myself say? out as a full-time basketball broadcaster for the first time in my entire life, just like I did with baseball the season before. Well, after winning the conference, what, what are we expecting this year? Well, I can tell you inside that locker room, they're expecting the same thing. You know, they reloaded after the conference championship season last year, and the two co-captains who were both seniors both had a year of COVID eligibility left. They both used it. So I can guarantee you everybody on that team is thinking repeat. Whether that'll happen or not, we're still a long way from figuring that out, but they want to win again. They've tasted what winning is like before. They beat the team in the finals of the conference tournament that knocked them out in the semifinals the year before. And now they're going to experience what it's like to be that team that has a target on that, on their back. And I think they're going to embrace that. What, what is the, uh, like the, the, I, I mean, I don't know if you can answer this question, but like, what is the level of competition? Like in, in when you're talking, I mean, you're obviously in a, a Northeast, uh, United States has some incredible basketball programs. So, um, when, when you're looking at it, how well does the Vermont compete out of the conference? I'm sorry? You how like, how well does the Vermont No, okay, so like how, how well does the Vermont compete out of the conference? I mean, they did well in their non-conference schedule last year. Uh, we got into the tournament and got knocked around by UConn pretty badly, but that's UConn. They do it to everybody. That's an exception. But out of the conference, Vermont plays tough. You stack them up with the best of the mid-majors, it, it checks out. Throughout the entire year, they were either in or around the mid-major top 25. So I would say they, they match up really well. We're going to get a nice test to see if that holds up because we're going to the uh, Gulf Coast Showcase over Thanksgiving weekend. Our first-round matchup is North Carolina. Iowa with Caitlin Clark is in the tournament as well. So I think it'll be a good litmus test to see if that still holds. And where is that at? It is in Estero, Florida. It's hosted by Florida Gulf Coast. Oh, there you go. Thanksgiving in Florida. Can't argue with that. No, that's living the dream right there. Well, Ryan, you're a vet with us, so uh, you know you get to give us the final thoughts. So the floor is yours. You know, before I give the final thought, I want to give a quick shout-out to one of the Kane County broadcasters, Connor Klingen, for putting this in my head at the time. But when we were playing in Kane County, I think it was the second series we played at Northwestern Medicine Field, he recommended a podcast to me. It's called The PDP. It's one of the Chicago sports talk hosts at, I believe the score, his name's Matt Spiegel. He goes around and interviews Major League Baseball broadcasters. And the episode that Connor recommended to me, the one that got me hooked, was with Tom Hamilton, the longtime and still the voice of the Cleveland Guardians. And in that interview, he said something that really stuck with me. Uh, At the very end of each podcast, he asks the broadcaster, what piece of advice would you give to young broadcasters out there? And Tom Hamilton's answer really changed my mindset throughout the rest of the season and really made me reapproach the way I call games. And he said, just treat every day like you have to do a professional job every day because... You don't know what happened with your listeners at the beginning of the day, at the middle of the day. Maybe they had a hard day at work. Maybe they got into a fight with their spouse. Maybe their kid got in trouble at school. Maybe that one, that last one maybe isn't as applicable because baseball happens when school's out. But, you know, uh, in May you could make that call. But a broadcast at the end of the night, Maybe that's the highlight of a fan's day. Maybe they've been looking forward to this throughout the day, and this is what's going to give them their most joy. So you have to stay locked in, and you have to stay professional and do the best you can to keep your subjectivity out of it to a certain extent. And if you're not being professional, you're not locked in, you're not checked in, you're not 
trying your best every single day, you're phoning it in, you're not doing your job. And that really stuck with me because to that point, I hadn't really thought about that. And I thought I was doing a good job, but at times I felt like my concentration would lapse a little bit. I would zone out, maybe miss something, and it came back to haunt me later on. But at that point, I feel like my mentality just shifted. And it changed the way I approached each game each year. I wasn't focusing on what had happened throughout the day. I wasn't focusing on what's coming up. I was just staying in the here and now whenever the Railcats were on the field. And I think that really improved the way I called games. And it really made me get the best out of myself throughout the year. And I really hope the fans heard that and saw that because I wanted to be the highlight of their night. And I wanted to give them that happy three-hour period in which they didn't have to worry about anything except what the result of the next pitch was. That's fantastic. Now, we didn't get a great happy three hours out of you, Ryan, but you did bring a lot of joy to the show for the last 40 minutes. So thanks for joining us this week. <laughs> well, thanks yeah, again thanks for having us. Of course. Well, well, Kevin, great having Ryan back on the show and, uh, you know, disappointing season for the Railcats, but uh, Ryan's never a disappointment when he's on the show with us. You know, it's a catch-22 that you – it's good to hear from Ryan, but with the way that we do these recaps, I'm sure he didn't want to be the first person that we had on. <laughs> but it was good to hear from him. That's a very good point. And, and, you know, Kevin, you brought up a sensational point about this team never had a, a losing streak longer than four games, and you would think that that's an almost guarantee that a team would be like 55 and 45 or something like that. But, man, it finishes with just, you know, un, under 30, under 40 victories, and um, it's kind of surprising to see that considering the team never had a those prolonged losing streaks. I don't know how many times I wrote or how many times we talked about this year that I kept waiting for this team to get on a roll, and it just it never happened in either direction. I'm mistaken. It was just at 41. I said it was just under 40. My bad. Go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry. It's kind of like what Simon Cowell used to say about some singers on American Idol. They're they're like wallpaper. You know, you, you know it's there. But there's not, not not much you're going to remember about it, and I kind of that's kind of how I felt about the way this season went for the Real Cats. Yeah, it's truly a disappointment because I had very high hopes for this team. I had them making the playoffs. I think finishing as high as third um, in this division, and um, just couldn't get things together. But you know, I I I come back to a point that you and I talked at the end of the season. Just 15 games separated, 14 and a half, separated first from last. And that's that's not a lot when you think about it. You know, you, you could see, you know, sometimes you're watching a, a six-team division that it's like 25 games separated. But it, everybody had at least 41 victories. Nobody had more than 56. Very competitive division. Um, I just kind of wonder, Kevin, as we look forward to next season, you and I have been talking about for a couple of years that, that I, I don't think a team can win or even make the playoffs when hitting 64 homers. I think if you're not hitting a 100 or more, you're, you're doomed. And I'm just kind of curious about what your thoughts are on that. I think you're spot on because in this league it is geared more towards the power hitters. We do have a lot of young and inexperienced guys that are taking them out on a nightly basis where you've got to have guys that can do what they're supposed to do and put the ball over the fence when needed. You know, as much as you and I talk about, I mean, what we talked about before the year began, how tough the West was going to be. And gosh, you had Fargo and Kansas City in the same division, and Sioux City is always tough, and Winnipeg was coming off a playoff year. I think we need to talk about the East Division in the same breath when you think – Chicago's established themselves. They were a Miles Wolf Cup finalist this year. Milwaukee is always at the top of the division. King County, you know, in his second and third years, George Samson has turned them into a consistent playoff team. So 
you look at how much um, Ken Huckabee improved the dot counts this year, the, in the East Division, you're never getting an easy night in that division. So it's tough if you don't get on some kind of roll or just have everything clicking. It's it's tough to make up ground in that division. Yeah, you know, and, and it starts at the top too, Kevin. You have two of the greatest managers in independent slash partner league baseball history in George Samus and Butch Hobson. Butch Hobson could stay claim to the, the top as he's the winningest manager in this. And then you got, um, you know, Lake Country had a, had a brand new guy. And Gary Souser has, has a brand new guy in the sense of just two years at this job. And Cleburne, which we'll talk about them in just a moment, had a, a guy that only had been full-time for two years. So you have kind of a big disparity. Then you have Anthony Barone, who quietly seems to every season build one of the best teams in the league. I mean, there's a, a lot of exceptional managers out here as well. So it's not surprising to see this to be a very competitive division. And I think that as we move forward now, um, you're right. It's, we talk a lot about the West, but this East is very tough and, and well-deserving to, to talk about how incredible that they are. So my, I, I got to own up to my part, Kevin. Sometimes I'm a little... Uh, less enthusiastic about this division than I guess than I should be. Well shame well, on let's, you. Let's uh let's take I know, shame on me. I agree with that, Kevin. But let's talk about some news out there. And I guess the biggest news we talked last week, Kevin, again about was Cleburne uh letting Logan Watkins go. Um I I'm a, I'm figuring uh ownership there is gonna look at this and make a um a quick decision on that because you got to be building your roster into November now. It seems like uh, starting out. So, do you see this as as maybe the the club goes out for a, a bigger name to a guy maybe who's managed in the past or is currently managing somewhere else, or could you see them going with a, a person with who's been a good coach somewhere and is looking for an opportunity for a managerial job? It's tough without knowing the ownership group and what they're looking for because, you know, we saw it before with Kleber in the, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to get the turnstiles to click. They brought in Raphael Palmero to play for the team. So, yeah, is it, is it going to be a business move where they're going to bring in a name that they hope will provide some face recognition value to the team and, in the hopes that that's going to get more people out to the ballpark, or is that not a concern? And they're going to get, like you said, a, a coach that deserves an opportunity to be, be the next manager of the railroaders. Yeah, it's a real tough call because you just never know how a guy fits um, with a with a new organization. And I'm. I'm going to go out kind of out on the limb here and think that it's likely not going to be one of the coaches on the staff right now. Now, I could be dead wrong about that, um, but but I see this organization kind of going in an entirely new direction and deciding to really try to find somebody with a different kind of vision for them. So um, could, I could be way off, but, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them reach out. And there's some great coaches out there. Bobby Post, I don't think, is even remotely interested in leaving um, – Sioux City, him and Steve Montgomery are kind of hooked, uh, hooked at the hip, so to speak. There, and I don't, and I think Anthony Renz has himself kind of off the table because of his job there with the, the Concordia College, being their head coach now. So, um, it's interesting to see those coaches out there. It might be Milwaukee. It might be looking at Daryl Boston or something out there. So there are some great coaches out there, okay, and that they could start to work on the pool to find the right guy for the job. The Long Island Ducks just let Wally Backman go after three years, and I know he had some success with the Ducks. So is that a guy with a major league pedigree that you look at bringing in? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of options out there. We'll see which way the that Cleburne wants to go. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, the big news from this past week was the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks went down there to the Baseball League Championship baseball champion series, I should say that, and wound up winning it all, dropped the first game of, this, of their round-robin tournament, 2-1, to one, but come back with a, uh, a one-run victory of their own and then dominate their third game with an eight-run second inning. 
then dominate the championship game yesterday. So congratulations to Fargo Moorhead for uh, winning this, this big tournament going on out there. I think it's a definite feather in the cap to the American Association that they just gathered these guys together. Granted, a lot of them were Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks, but they put the group together, and it was a little rough going in the first game, but they clicked the the other three. I'd have to say the player, two players that could benefit the most are obviously Roy Morales, a guy that was a triple-A guy just last season. I mean, he just had an incredible series, and I'm sure that probably caught the eyes of not even like potential major league scouts, but possible Mexican league scouts that are looking at, hey, let's bring this guy down here for some money next season. And I thought it was a bit of a coming out party for Tyler Grower too, as Grower was was absolutely sensational after having a season with the Red Hawks that was a little bit wobbly at times. Grower just he was not giving that team a sniff last night. It just looked brilliant in his six innings of work, so maybe that's going to be a situation where Grower gets a a second look by somebody. Absolutely, Kevin. And Mitchell Verberg looks very good coming out of the bullpen. I believe it was in game That's another guy, too, I I just should have brought up, too, that, I mean, wow, the guy thought he was going to start the next day, volunteered to come out of the pen, and was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was it, that pitching staff was just phenomenal for the Red Hawks, and yeah, you know, I, I can't speak to what um, Columbia has for their talent level. Who's playing there and who's playing? Not you know whether or not a guy could play somewhere else in the Caribbean League or was holding up for the Caribbean League season to get underway. I, I'm not sure. Same thing with the the uh, Venezuelan representative or the Mexican representative and the Cuban representative team. I I, I don't know in terms of like what's their top-tier talent and how that um, appeared there. But like you said, I, I think that was a very good representation of not an, not an all-star team for the American Association, but they got some of the top players from other teams. Like you mentioned, Roy Morales, Drew Ward came from Milwaukee. They got some good starters in, in there. And I, I think that, that the, the league has to be super happy about coming away with a championship like that and, and feeling like, hey, we went up against some some top tier competition, and we we got to win out of this. So, um, kudos to the Joshes. I get that there a lot of smiles back there in the league office right now, Kevin. No doubt, and if you if you folks um, kept the game on afterwards and caught the award ceremony, the you know the Joshes were right down on the field congratulating the players. They were up on the stage when the players got their trophies. So, I mean, they were they were just right in the thick of things. I think they knew just how much is meant to the league. My question is, I, someone's, someone brought up, well, do they, do they get a ring? I don't know. I For winning, a, like, a, a four-game playoff thing, I wouldn't imagine they would, but Come on, we we have sponsors here. Visit Fargo Moorhead, Sun Butter. Do these guys get like uh, all expenses trip paid to Fargo Moorhead this winter, or like a year supply of Sun Butter? I mean, what are we talking about here? It's a very good question, Kevin. And and I think uh, one of the things you learned out of the tournament was is that that they liked uh, a particular song quite a bit during 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 the, during the games. Yes, they do. And, um, if you stuck around the post-game show, you would probably be catching on to what we are doing right now on the show here, which is, I don't know if they just didn't really have a lot of, um, a lot of English-speaking songs to play afterwards or what, but... Um, it, let's just say it reminded me a bit of being at a county fair on the 4th of July when they would play a Lee Greenwood on a loop. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it, it's funny. And, and again, we don't under, and we're not in charge of music down there. And, and I don't know what the, the, 
to call it. Heck, maybe Guns N' Roses paid to be played a lot. I, you know, I, I don't know. But I did think that was kind of funny. Uh, I thought, wow, okay. Uh, maybe maybe it was like the Team Rally song. Maybe maybe that was the song they're playing in the locker room to get revved up. I mean, it it just it, it totally brought me back to all 1987. So, or you know, when I was a North Star fan, this was like this was the song they played. Um, if they wanted to get the crowd back into the game, they pl- start playing "Welcome to the Jungle" and everybody would start going nuts. But I just I couldn't believe it last night. I was like, "Wow, they're going to play it again and again." But let's not let that take away from the the great accomplishments that these guys did in winning the tournament down there. You know, we're having some fun here, but yeah, we totally respect what what exactly this meant to the league. Absolutely. It was all about the games. And uh, you mentioned great performances. Tyler Grower is going to be super excited about the job that he did. Hopefully that will lead something, to something for him. So, Well, Kevin, we don't have any other exciting news going on around the American Association, with the exception of and I'm gonna, uh, of one thing related to Sioux City. And, and uh, we'll come back to that here in a minute because um, I know we, we want to kind of close out with that. But I just wanted to mention quickly, the Atlantic League did finish their championship series where the Lancaster Bar- Lancaster Barnstormers win game five, seven to one to win the Atlantic League championship series over the Gastonia Honey Hunters. So congratulations to them. And that would close out partner league baseball in terms of their season uh, at this point, all the seasons out there. So uh, now we're just in the off season now. But before we do that, Kevin, before we close out here today, um, still kind of a little up in the air about whether the Explorers wind up staying in Sioux City or whether we're uh, looking at a Northwoods League team playing in there. But uh, hopefully some good news for fans out there about the Explorers staying. Well, the the good news that came in last week was that the Sioux City Parks and Rec Advisory Committee unanimously voted to recommend the Explorers' request for at least at Lewis and Clark Park. So now it's in the hands of the city council to make the decision. And you got to imagine, like we were talking about before the show began, if you hire these people to be your committee, I, why why would you go against a recommendation after you put the money and resources into forming the committee? So I'd have to say right now it's looking pretty good for seeing Sioux City Explorer baseball back at Lewis and Clark Park next season. And I think that's a good sign because for fans who have listened for a long time, Kevin can be the pessimist about things here. So being an optimist, Kevin, I think that probably is a good sign. That's that's what I'm going to throw out for tonight. Well, I'm leaving them. I'm dangling that carrot because you just never know with some um, city councils and politics that you just never know if someone uh, – or some people get their palms greased a bit, uh, or get a little, little bit of dirty money. They may change their attitude, but it would just—it'd be a bad look, like I said, if you actually put the time into hiring a committee and then having them make a recommendation to go against it. It's just would be asinine. Kevin, would you say there's corruption in government? Man, I'm I'm shocked. Shocked that you would speculate. I know, believe it or not. <laughs> well, I think that leads us, though, Kevin, into that. That leads us into our shout-out for this week. Yeah, my shout-out, I'm going to, I'm not going to name the people by names. If you want to look them up, I don't know if their comments are still existing because having power of um, deletion on the This Week in the Association page, I decided to delete a topic and therefore delete a post from a couple of people. We'll call one person Cold Hot Dog, and we're going to call the other one Moldy Whopper. Last week, the Northwoods League lauded their league. And I'll just... They just verbatim on what I said. I like how they mention all the players that they get drafted. And, hey, it's true. A lot of guys get drafted. But they don't mention that when these guys are still in school, 
and your league has already started because, God forbid, you want to get in as many games as you can to grab as much revenue as possible. You're bringing up a backup catcher from a D3 school to just to fill your roster, and knowing that once the better players get in, you're going to tell them to hit the bricks, and they're back playing with the town ball team. So what's the priority during the summer in that league? They got, I believe, a total of 76 games. The pitchers are, the managers of these teams are under orders from these pitchers, college coaches, as to exactly how many innings they can pitch and how many pitches they can throw. Could you imagine someone going up to Steve Montgomery and saying, well, you know, you can sign this guy this year, but um, make sure he's not throwing more than 70 pitches a night and going more than 70 innings for the summer. Montgomery was say, screw you. <laughs> so I also mentioned that, and I saw this happen firsthand in Mankato one season, the players got, there were so many players that had to go back to school the Mankato had to put a pitcher in right field for a playoff game. So I'm making all these points, and two guys, one that was employed by an American Association baseball team, and that's who we refer to as Cold Hot Dog, and Modi, Modi Whopper, is currently employed by an American Association baseball team. They came to the defense of the Northwoods League as to just how great of a league it is, and I'm just being so tough on it, and what's my problem, man? Guys, if you have any loyalty to the American Association whatsoever, and a league is coming in and trying to take a franchise away from you, if you have any loyalty to the association at all, you should be offended. Why would you defend this league? This league, which has the words out there, we Tanner Hoops talked about with us during the postseason. The league has expanded too far. The players are spread out way too thin. The quality of all is not what it used to be. So they wanted to go into the Sioux City market and put a team there. So now you would not have the Sioux City Explorers, nor would you have 23 roster spots for guys that once played in the Northwoods League to go play professional baseball. Moldy Whopper, cold hot dog, let me explain this to you. What if you went to college, and let's say you're going to college to flip burgers. And the college that you were going to decided somehow they wanted to close down a bunch of McDonald's. Is that going to do much for you as far as um, getting a career in flipping burgers if they are trying to close down potential job opportunities for you? The Northwoods League needs to stay in its lane. They have a niche. They have these mid-sized towns that you know, Wilmer and Mankato and Thunder Bay. You know, a lot of fans in the association don't even know where those cities are. I do, but whatever. They have a niche in those towns. Stay in your lane and don't try to take away job opportunities for your own players. That's the point I was trying to make to Moldy Whopper and Cold Hot Dog, but they just didn't really seem to get the point I was making. And, yeah, I made one mistake. I thought Josh Willingham just had a horrible batting average when he played for the Southern Mini Stars. Well, he wasn't great. I guess instead of the 130, I thought he hit. He hit 270 with, like, three homers. But, you know, that's you weren't seeing a Josh Willingham that became a major league all-star. You are seeing a, a college player. And that's another thing with these college players. With the Northwest League, they don't have to pay these guys, but yet in some areas they're charging as much money to get in as American Association is. 
I mean, it's it's a money grab for those owners in that league. Let's let's just be blunt about it. Um, you know, these teams in that league, they can draw 600, 700 people and still make money because uh, don't have to pay the players. Screw them. So, you know, in the American Association, you know, the, these owners are taking chances operating these teams. I think we should be doing something to help them and not run them out of business. But um, you know what? Moldy Whopper, cold hot dog, you guys can rip on me as much as you want. Thanks for reading my stuff. Thanks for listening. But catch on to it, guys. Um, I I don't know. I don't have anything else to add. It's just it's ridiculous. I had to eventually kick Moldy Whopper off of my this week in the association page and block him on Facebook. He's one of those people that have so much going on right now that he started stalking me. So, and I give you guys a background on cold conception stand hot dog and Modi Whopper years back. Foul pole sports had all these reports from players that played in the Northwoods league about how bad the conditions were about how when they, their post game spread, one time in Waterloo, came from a local Burger King, and there was mold on the Whoppers that they were supposed to have for dinner. They said some stops, your post-game spread was whatever was left over from the concession stand at the end of the night. So I've been told that in some areas that these guys get treated pretty good, whatever, but I'm just going by these stories that had came out a few years ago, and... Now, surprisingly, after these stories came out, the Northwoods League, even though they're not giving these guys a dime to play in the league, they told these guys when they signed to play on these teams, signed contracts, that they cannot post anything on social media, have any interaction with foul pole sports at all until after, like, so many months after they're done playing in the league. Oh, why is that? If your league is so perfect and well-ran, you shouldn't have anything to hide, should you? Leave you with that thought. Rob, you got a shout-out at all, or did I take up all the time? <laughs> no, no, you know what? I, I want to add one point you were making on there. You were talking about how the the level of competition in the Northwood League has gone down because too many teams and not enough talent out there. Let's say that wasn't even true. Let's say the league was phenomenal. They had amazing players, great deal of talent. Every game was played with spectacular players. I hate to say it to you, though, that's still the competition. You know, that's like uh, the Burger King going, you know what, we need more McDonald's here. <laughs> you know what I mean, why, why would you hype? another league that is a competition to the American Association. Even if the te the level of play is great, you still don't want that. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm sorry, you'd rather have your franchise there, so that doesn't even make any sense. So, well, I liked it, Kevin. That was cold, hot dog made, cold Hot Dog made the point that, well, you know, they're both, they're both well-ran leagues, and I don't know why you take time to rip on one. Well, I'm ripping on one because they're trying to – invade the league that I care about. I maybe I care a little bit too much about the American Association. And I've I've followed the Northwoods League in the past, but once they decided they want to try to invade American Association territory, oh no no. I am not I'm not gonna just stand there and say, oh well, well yeah, whatever. No, I care about the association way too much to just stand there like a dope. And like we talked about earlier in the oh, show, if they, if they if they were to take Sioux City, I guarantee you the next thing they'd shoot for is Sioux Falls because they have a team up in Minot. I'm sure they'd love to have that, their own little, and I think in Grand Forks too, if I'm not mistaken, they'd love to have their own little I-29 corridor too. So, I mean, let's not be naive. Absolutely. I think you're spot on with that. Let's see, who should my shout-out be about tonight here, Kevin? Um, how about let's Guns have a shout-out to... <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to say is that 
I I I'm a fan of Guns N' Roses music. I, I will tell you, Kevin, but I have never been able to like Axl Rose. And when he was the lead singer for ACDC for a little while, George Samus and I were one day sitting in his office, both lamenting about what a terrible choice that was. I thought, God, God not only a horrible human being, but uh, just not fitting in ACDC at all. So uh, I'm not giving a, uh, Guns N' Roses a shout out here tonight. They did enough of that down there at the, the BCL. Um, how about my shout-out for tonight will be to what's what's good going on that I want to be positive about? How about um, how about uh, hockey season about the beginning? So uh, my shout-out to professional hockey. So it's almost time here. The NHL gets underway next week, Thursday or Friday. Is that what I'm thinking? I think Minnesota opens on Thursday the 12th, so somewhere around Thursday there. Thursday the 12th, okay. Yeah, so next week, Thursday, the uh, AHL will begin right after that, and the ECHL gets underway two Fridays from this coming Friday. So uh, I, I'm pretty excited about hockey returning. I'm probably not giving enough respect to the Southern, the SBHL, and admittedly so. So <laughs> I didn't give that any respect. Um, but uh, I'm pretty excited about that. So that that's my shout out for tonight, Kevin. And Kevin, uh, yeah, quick, we'll pick for we'll be keeping there. track of how many times we hear I want to drive the Zamboni throughout the season. Hey, I'm going to tell you. So just just so you know, Kevin. So on November 26th here in Cedar Rapids, I am going to learn how to drive a Zamboni. I just can. I, I paid for the class. I'm going to learn. So just so you know. So now I can say I I can drive the Zamboni here in a couple months. What about that? Uh, well, I think that's it for tonight, Kevin. So for uh, we want to once again thank Ryan Zimmerman for joining us. Next week, Kevin and I will return to start, for, not to start, but to continue our look back at the 2023 season, I believe, with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes next Monday is where we will be at. So for Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.